Hey, everybody, we have a really special podcast for you today with Brittany Serpa-Smith and special guest co-host Diana Brescia. Unfortunately, Rich stole Diana first for me with Daisy White, but I have her now all to myself because Rich is sick with COVID, and this was supposed to be his interview, but I am honored to be here today with Diana and Brittany. And just for a little background, Brittany is a cybersecurity professional out of New York City who spends time in Connecticut. She had a normal childhood like most of us, got really sick with Lyme. And like many of us thought, maybe she wasn't going to get better. But looking at her questionnaire for this interview, she's been able to make significant progress. She's working and she's going to be a huge inspiration for everybody listening to this podcast. So I'm really excited to get into it with Brittany. So Diana, you want to kick it off and start walking through Brittany's life as a kid way before her Lyme journey. What life was like growing up between New York City, Connecticut and Spain, it seems like as well. So nice to meet you, Brittany. So another native New Yorker. I'm a New Yorker as well. So kind of tell us about your life before Lyme. What were you doing? What was life like growing up and how you were before Lyme and everything like that? Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm really excited to talk about um, all these things. And it's definitely interesting uh, just trying to think back on what my life was before Lyme. Uh, so I grew up pretty much worry-free childhood. Didn't really know anything about ticks, Lyme, or anything like that realm. Um, I grew up in New York City, so I lived in New York City for 10 years, uh, and then my mom ended up getting remarried, so, or married, not remarried, and so we moved over to Connecticut, and that's where I like to attribute uh, kind of my health downfall, <laughs> but um, mm. once I moved to Connecticut, I was, I was very involved um, socially, academically, I loved sports, I played, played uh, basketball and softball. A uh, bit of a troublemaker in between fifth grade to eighth grade, but I think uh, most kids <laughs> kind of go through that that stage in life stage. But at some point, right? So that was that was my uh, that was it for me. Um, and then my sophomore year, I ended up living in Spain for for a year. I did a study abroad program, which which was amazing. Uh, I I I really do suggest people, or I always recommend that people take that opportunity, whether in high school, it's a little rare, but in college, definitely. Um, so that that was pretty much my childhood before the Lyme. Brittany, quick question on that one, because mm -hmm. being a New Yorker and being a fellow New Yorker as well, what did you know about Lyme? Because ticks are so prevalent here and Lyme is so prevalent here, yet I didn't know anything about Lyme before I got sick. And then you moved to Connecticut, which is where Lyme was you know, first discovered mm -hmm. by Polly Murray. And right. just today land we had- Land of the ticks, as I say, land of the ticks. It is certainly <laughs> land of the ticks. I mean, you know, Dr. Alan McDonald, who was friends with Polly Murray, who, did, who was the one who discovered this pattern of this arthritis and, you know, the, this inflammation in the joints, mm -hmm. he, he, he described it as they were just all these kids that were in wheelchairs or crutches waiting on the school bus line to get on the school bus. And the way he visualized that just seemed like just heartbreaking. And this was decades before you probably moved to Connecticut. So mm -hmm. knowing this and knowing that inspired the, you know, the understanding of what Lyme was, you would think that by the time you moved to Connecticut, people would be super aware of it and say, hey, be careful, ticks are really bad and you can get really sick from Lyme disease. But was that the case? No, I honestly, prior, when I was diagnosed was probably when I found out what Lyme was. I had no idea what ticks were, to be quite honest. I, it wasn't something that you talked about in New York City. I mean, now, whenever I can advocate and tell people that, you know, be careful when you're walking on any patch of grass, because you never know if, if there's a tick, just because now it's all over. And, you know, it's not just in the US, it's in Europe, it's in South America, it's all over the place. 
So prior to moving to Connecticut, I had no idea. And even when I was in Connecticut, it wasn't really a thought. I think maybe I, I knew what a tick was, but I didn't know the extent of how bad it could really affect the person's health. Yeah, for sure. And how old were you when you first got sick? I was around 17. So it was my, I was diagnosed my summer before freshman year of college, but I was getting sick for probably two, three years before that. So I was undiagnosed for several, several years before um, my diagnosis. Uh, it, it was very, very difficult because I was getting sick constantly, but I had no idea what was going on. What were your symptoms? So, you, so it sounds like, what were you, about a freshman in high school when you first got sick? No, well, uh, actually, probably sophomore, maybe junior year, I would say, in high school. Um, it was a lot, before getting diagnosed, it was a lot of the upper respiratory. I was constantly getting strep, uh, overproduction of mucus, unexplained cough. It just continued, and we had no idea what was going on. would get strep tests. Nothing came up. Um, I had terrible mood swings. I, you know, one day was super happy. The next day I was on an all time low. Uh, I actually terrible memory, but I remember getting upset at my mom for trying to take away my phone. And I ended up slamming my head against the desk several times. And, you know, it's unexplained because what child does that? There has to be an underlying reason for that. You don't just go and slam your head onto a desk, but um, of course, the fatigue was there. Um, trying to think what else was it before I was diagnosed. I think probably those were the most significant things that I was going through, those significant symptoms that I was going through at that point. Well, were you seeing doctors at that point prior to your diagnosis, you know, for any of these upper respiratory infections, for the mood issues, et cetera? No, I think I was just going to, to my general doctor. Um, I think I had seen a pediatrician, if I'm not mistaken, and that woman was very dismissive. So um, we just, we didn't really think much of it. We thought, oh, Brittany, you know, gets sick once in a while. She gets a cold or she gets whatever, whatever else there is out there, but it'll go away. And so they just thought it was the common things all the time over right. and over and over again. Yep. Yep. Allergies, colds, Sometimes I would have strep. So, you know, when you, when those things and you don't have the underlying reason, they just exacerbate. So what's interesting is, and just because this is an audio only podcast, when you have two young women like Diana and yourself who are sick and going to the doctor, I just, I can't help but wonder, does your appearance impact it, right? Because you both look so healthy right now and you both probably looked healthy when you were younger. So you walk in, they go, you can't possibly be sick. It must just be, you know, you're, you're catching a bug, you're catching a cold. And I just feel like it's probably to our detriment that we have these preconceived notions of what health looks like. Just because you look healthy doesn't mean you are healthy, right? So do you think that played a factor into your health journey prior to your diagnosis, Brittany? Definitely. I, <laughs> you don't know how many times I've heard that one. Oh, you look perfectly fine. You look healthy. And I'm like, you have no idea what's going on internally. And I'm I feel like I'm dying. There's days where I feel like I'm absolutely dying. I don't want to get up. I, you know, to this day, I, there's times where I just don't want to get up. I don't want to do anything. I just want to stay home, stay in bed, do absolutely nothing. And, you know, when we have to, we kind of, the mentality that's instilled in, in, in the States is you just got to push through it, right? We're, we're yeah. hustlers. We have to, 
you know, get up keep and go over it, get it right. Keep going. So that's kind of the way it was for me. I think it was maybe a little bit easier to get away with some things when I was younger in college, but uh, now in the work workforce is a little bit more difficult. It's a little bit more difficult. Totally. Totally. So can you explain a little bit more about, so when did, you know, either you or your family or anyone involved in your life kind of say, okay, wait, this is a little weird. Lots of things are reoccurring. Something must be wrong. You know, Mm -hmm. people don't really act this way. Major anxiety, mood swings up and down. When was it until someone said, wait, we need to dig deeper here? Yep. So there were two instances. My first one was I ended up having um, a syncope episode. So I was actually going and getting my written, the permit test. And I fainted during it. So I was rushed to the, to the ER, no explanation as to why, you know, I fainted because I'm how old at that point, I'm 17, right? right? Why, why am I fainting, right? Taking a permit test. So that was the first time we're really, mm, everything else that I just explained. And then also the fainting along with other things that I had missed, uh, the night sweats, the light sensitivity, the air hunger, the body ailments. It, it kind of didn't make sense. It didn't make sense why a 17-year-old person that looked healthy, right, right, was going through all these things. And then it wasn't until actually my younger sister, she has her own a separate disease, but she also was diagnosed with Lyme disease. The doctor said, she is flaring like crazy. And that means that somebody in the family is also sick. So we're going to test all of you to, to see what's going on. And because of that doctor, who is still my doctor to this day, um, is the reasoning as to why I finally got diagnosed. And you know, the crappy testing that they have, I came up in flying colors, which is hysterical, because <laughs> it's a crappy test. But um, I also did the hygienics testing and also came up in flying colors. So <laughs> your sister story, right? What was different about your sister that triggered the thought of Lyme disease and not you? That's where my head is at. Was it just because it was a different doctor who had a different perspective or was it a different presentation of symptoms that were more traditional Lyme symptoms than yours, which were syncope, which is not as traditional as an early symptom, although it was mine as well, one of my first symptoms. But that's mm-hmm. not what people think of as Lyme disease when you're just fainting, right? Yeah. So she has, again, she has a different uh, illness, but there, and I don't want to go into what she has just because out of respect for her, but because she actually, she tested positive for the Lyme disease uh, and the other disease that she has, that was the reasoning as to why the doctor decided to test us because of that specific disease. Uh, she, she was flaring and she was at her worst possible. And so that reasoning was as to why the doctor decided to test me and my parents as well. Were your parents positive? No, no, it was just me. <laughs> My, me and my sister. <laughs> I'm gonna back it up a second though. So I'm glad I'm glad you paused there, Brittany. Thank you. Because I have so many questions. <laughs> so when you got your diagnosis through mm-hmm. your sister's doctor, and then mm-hmm. you backed it up with an hygienics test, were there yes. other tick-borne infections in addition to Lyme disease that you were diagnosed with? Yes. So rickettsia, mycoplasma pneumonia, typhus. Uh, Babesia. And then later on, I was diagnosed with with Overkishia and Bartonella. And was this doctor a Lyme litter doctor or was this a regular general care? It was a Lyme litter doctor. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then I had also seen um, Dr. Ray Charles Jones. When you first got sick, just describe for us before your 
you began treatment, did your symptoms worsen? And were there any new symptoms that you haven't mentioned yet before you started treating? From what I recall, when I started taking antibiotics, I, they always say you feel worse before you feel better. And I can remember my symptoms just feeling like they were the absolute death of me. But um, I did end up getting some additional symptoms. Uh, back in 2014, I had flu-like symptoms, so fevers, chills, uh, the body ailments, headache, uh, neck stiffness, uh, discoloration of my skin. Uh, neuropathy has been one that's kind of stuck, and I can kind of touch back on that in a bit. Um, personality, personality issues, cognitive um, cognitive sleep disturbances, anxiety, OCD, motor tics, uh, short-term memory loss has been a big one for me, um, muscle tenderness. Uh, and these kind of have waxed and weaned over the years. So um, 2015 was probably my worst year. And then the following year, I felt my best because that's when I had started going to the gym. Um, and then between 2018 to 2020, things again, wax and wane. But you were diagnosed in 2014, right? Yeah. Okay. So mm -hmm. when you first got diagnosed, obviously you're with a Lyme doctor. I'm curious, what was the treatment regimen that you started with for, for your diagnosis with all of these co-infections and Lyme disease? Yeah, I, I can't remember the exact uh, concoction that I was on, but over the years, I've taken quite a bit of different um, treatments. So doxycycline, Bactrim, Malarone, Terbinafin, Enula. I don't know how to pronounce this other one. It starts with an S and it ends with an E and there's a lot of letters in between. Ozole. That was not accurate. <laughs> it's a long one. Uh, Zithromycin, Adobaquin, I think. Uh, Benefit I already mentioned, rifampin, clarithromycin, and enhanza. So those were some of the treatments that I did. Um, I tried to do some, um, what was it? Are those all antibiotics that you just described, or are they just, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of words there and some of them I've never heard before. Yeah, yeah. most of them, most of them are, most of them are um, antibiotics. Yeah. An herbal route, you know, holistic route at all. I tried and Quite honestly, I didn't have the best experience with it. I think what worked best for me, because everybody's different, everybody goes through, you know, finding what works best for them, but working on my, my food intake and really focusing on, you know, what I should be and shouldn't be eating really right. helped. And then also making sure I was taking my probiotics, because if it wasn't for that, yeah. I don't think <laughs> I'd be doing well, but um I did try the holistic route and it may have been just the person that I had seen wasn't the person for me. Basically to give you kind of a summary of what happened was we did a blood work. We did blood work and um, she kind of told me what I needed to do uh, and then told me that I was not allergic to shellfish, which I'm actually anaphylactic. So oh, wow. yeah, I will, I'll die if I eat shellfish. So that for me was a little eh, kind of treading waters right there. And then what was, what was pre not prescribed because it was a, a lot of just was vitamins. So um, I think it was 
and I hate to say it, you know, some people really, it's the financial gain of things and the greed. And I just, I, I, for me, I just didn't think this person was trying to help me. For sure. It's definitely trial and error. Like all of it. Yeah. Right. And there's been doctors, there's been doctors, the same thing, you know, who who don't want to help or they don't believe. Yeah. And I believe you, yeah, you need to definitely have a connection with your doctor, Mm -hmm. like for Mm -hmm. sure. Definitely. I, it, it, I've been through it myself. So I get it. And what Uh, about, sorry, one more thing. Uh, Honestly, my doctor has been good with helping me with, he's given me suggestions for holistic things to do. Uh, Not necessarily, um, you know, yes, the antibiotics and obviously antibiotics is not good for you after, especially if you're taking them long-term. And for me, I had taken them for quite a long time. I think the longest was maybe up to a year and then I would go off of it for a bit to then, you know, it it was, it just took a while. Um, But he's definitely helped me with trying to figure what's best for me. So I definitely have to say, I definitely have to And you have to do what's best for you at the end of the day, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever works for you. What about any physical activity? Do you do yoga? Do you do meditation? Do you lift weights? Anything to kind of incorporate, you know, you know, for your healing process? Yeah, the actually, the biggest thing has been uh, weightlifting for me, uh, especially this year. This year has been one of my best years and I feel great. My body isn't doing the best that it could be doing but I do feel great in the sense that uh weightlifting has really helped me (laughs) not only physically mentally mentally and emotionally but it has helped me with really focusing on my diet diet has been such an important thing for me I dived into that this year myself Mm -hmm. it has changed my mind my body in ways ways I couldn't even imagine so totally agree with you yeah yeah can I ask a question been, about this real quick? I'm sorry to interrupt, yeah, but so this is really interesting because I, even pre-Lyme, I always hated weightlifting. I always hated, you know, muscle building. I was always a runner. I was always a cardio guy. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, and then when I first got sick, I had trouble doing the cardio because of all of the inflammation and the autoimmune, yep. you know, triggers, mm-hmm. I would be, I would go for a walk and I'd be in pain for a week. And I'm finally in a place where I can now do the, you know, cardio again and really get that, that benefit both physically and mentally, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But talk to us about the, well, I guess the first question I have for you, Brittany, is did you have any of those types of barriers where you tried to do workouts mm-hmm. and you simply couldn't because of the state of your health? And secondly, why are you choosing weightlifting versus cardio for your physical and emotional health? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I am, I'll answer the second question first. I actually have started introducing cardio into my weightlifting, uh, well, my, my um, overall uh, gym endeavors what's routine. the word that I'm looking for routine <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> words can't can't remember them sometimes um so uh I started introducing cardio I started running I did a 5k probably last month and it's kind of interesting I'd never I was always a fast runner growing up but I hated it just because I used to cramp a lot but it is so it just is wow it's like euphoric because yeah you're just in the state of mind where it, it's almost zen and peaceful and you're just yeah. focusing on, on one foot over the other and nothing else. And honestly, I, I really do want to 
try to run a little bit more because my focus has been uh, four to five times in the gym. I, I'm usually in the gym four to five times a week, uh, days a week. So um, that the cardio definitely has been interesting for me and I'm really happy that I started it. But so the weightlifting and I'm sorry, what was the question that you had asked for the, I should have asked, answered. The oh, that's okay. I, I, I should never ask a two-part question. That's my fault. So with the weightlifting, because and it's really a personal intrigue question here as well, that I think a lot of listeners will, will benefit from is I never enjoyed weightlifting even before mm-hmm. sick, before I was sick. And now that I'm able to do more exercise, I still have just a tendency to focus on cardio. So what benefits gotcha. are you seeing from weightlifting that have helped alleviate some of your physical symptoms and also helped you from an emotional you know, stance as well? Cause I think it's interesting that you you're focusing more on the weightlifting than obviously you're doing cardio, but you mentioned, you know, weightlifting, you know, as your primary focus initially. So what are the benefits you're seeing physically and emotionally from the weightlifting side of things? I mean, obviously physically I can see improvements, but I think what's important to mention is that when I've always been very small and petite, but with the Lyme, I did go at one point I, I gained weight, but for the most part, I was really, really, I looked, I don't want to say malnourished, but to the point where I just couldn't look at myself in the mirror because I just almost disgusted because I couldn't gain weight. And I, I've always had a hard time gaining weight, but with the Lyme, it was definitely even harder. So for me, weightlifting and going to the gym and really just trying to add on muscle has been such uh, a big importance in my life. And I think maybe the way I think of it is because I went through those things in the past with my Lyme and how I I felt my body image um, now fast forward where I do feel better in the sense of, I'm not at that uh, as sick as I was in the past, mm-hmm. but it really has helped me. And I think now that I'm, I'm not sure if I have, you know, if I was re rebit or I'm um, not sure what's going on right now, but you know, I feel the best that I have felt in a long time. It's interesting because a lot of this stuff, I think with, with that is, it's that balance of not overdoing it and and finding what your limit is. But when you start to make that progress and you get that momentum, you just start to feel better and better and better. And I think like a lot of this stuff is a lot of people with Lyme have this hypermobility. And I'm not sure if you can relate to that, Brittany, where we're just really like hypermobile, where we're, we're double jointed, we're flexible, like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, you're not. Okay. So, no, so I'm absolutely it, the opposite, yeah. <laughs> which is something that I've been working on. I actually, um, I had started doing yoga it's interesting how my mind or my brain works because there's some things that I get super hyper-focused on. And then there's other things where I say, Hey, I really want to try this and I really want to do it, but I cannot get my brain to actually to do, do it. it. And it, and it stinks. it stinks because there's things like, for example, journaling, journaling is super important. And I've heard even people who, you know, I've gotten my doctor said, Hey, I want you to start writing down what you feel like on a day to day basis. But for me, that feels like homework. But you know, there is right, exactly. So um, it's interesting, because there are things that I, I want to add to my routine. And that is very important to me is the routine aspect. Because before when I was my sickest, I would really just lounge. And then I would get worse because then I was in my head and, you know, I was just thinking and, and it wasn't good for me. And now that I have my routine, you know, I wake up at six in the morning, I make my bed, I get ready, I go to the gym, I'm ready for work by 830. And I just, 
it really it the routine kind of like flipped the switch in my brain to to make me feel better or at least trick my brain into thinking that I feel better. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I feel like we have similar stories, which is interesting. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but would you I'm curious about the whole brain component of this, right? And I, mm -hmm. I, I am not, I guess maybe I am now. I was never a woo-woo person. And what I mean by that is I, I always believed in traditional, you know, Western medicine. But over mm -hmm. the past three and a half years, I very much have recognized it's the whole mind-body connection. Mm -hmm. And I think that whole routine piece is so important. And, you know, you're, you're doing extremely well. So your routine looks different than people who are really sick still. But I mm -hmm. think even people that are really sick can develop a routine that helps them feel better and, and that routine can be movement, which is good physically. And then yeah. that routine makes them feel better mentally, which then yeah. the, the, the mental, you know, happiness and the, the mental chemicals that you're generating from a routine are healing chemicals that your brain releases, right? They're healing hormones. Mm -hmm. So I think they're, no matter where you are, whether you're at your early stages, just diagnosed really sick in bed. And I can say when I was at my, when I was really sick and I could, I couldn't do much exercise at all. I would just do physical therapy exercises. I would just do stretches. I would do mm -hmm. like literally like five pound bell bars, just simple, like right. lifting them up. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was meaningful because I was starting to build that muscle and I was feeling better about myself. And I think that helped propel me a little bit forward to do more and more and more and more understanding there still is physical barriers relating to our illness. So I don't want people to be discouraged thinking, Hey, Brittany's running, running, you know, running right. five K's and oh, I can't yeah. even get out of bed. Right. Because you were there, you were really yeah, sick. So we're, we're seeing you now at, at, you know, at, at almost your best. Right. So yeah. uh, I just want to point that out as well, but yeah. For you... sure. And everyone's different too. Exactly. You know? Everyone's on their own healing journey. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And I think even when I was at my worst, I would even try and I, oh, at a certain point, my sophomore year, I had no feeling in my legs for an entire week. It was miserable. So again, everybody right now, you can look at me and think, oh, wow, she has everything together, you know, but mm -hmm. it, it's taken time and it's not just, it, it's not going to just happen in a day. It can take, it can take days. It can take months. It can take years. And yeah, you know, it, it, it's just part of the process. It's part of the journey. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, it's really easy to get discouraged. And I used to get very discouraged. Honestly, to be quite honest, when I first got diagnosed, I was so mad at the world. And I was going into my freshman year of college. You know what freshman year of college is. You mm -hmm. want to have fun. You want to party. You want to enjoy life. And to then just be diagnosed with the Lyme disease, I was so mad. And really, because of that mindset that I had, I delayed my treatment. I delayed getting better because I, quite frankly, didn't really care. And I was just, again, really mad at the world. So um, it's I, best advice I can give is don't get discouraged. Don't compare yourself to others because you really don't know what people are going through. And as we said before, you know, you may look at somebody and you may think that they're healthy, but they may be going through the internal demons yeah. inside. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So since we're on the health topic of things, are you, how's your diet? I mean, I'm a foodie. I started my business out of my Lyme disease. It's kitchen remedy. I found my remedy in the kitchen. What's your <laughs> diet like? Are you, do you have a specific diet, gluten-free, dairy-free? Do you, what are you, what are you eating these days? So, so I guess let me start back to when I first started and 
I really had started in the gym um, my junior year of college, but then I kind of let it go. So um, it wasn't until this year, but my diet then was I removed gluten, dairy, and sugar from my diet. Uh, now I'm a little bit more lenient. I do definitely am pretty strict with the no sugar rule. Um, what I about just, natural sugar? Is it just natural processed sugar? Or sugar? No, no, just artificial processed sugar is yeah. a no-no. It and mm-hmm. and because I had, um, you know, parasites really, that's what they crave or that's what they want. Um, yeah. that was the big component of me just knocking out sugar. And, um, I, I do a lot better. I don't drink caffeine. I don't, <laughs> I don't drink sugar or I don't eat sugar. Um, I've been doing, I've been trying to do the gluten again. Um, and then dairy's been pretty, uh, low honestly so I I try to keep um I try to really keep myself from being I, I want to be strict with myself as much as possible but again you know you can't you can't follow it to a T you know you have to right. enjoy your life as well right so be realistic yeah. right yeah. yeah yeah exactly um yeah the weekends is for me to to really enjoy myself but um that that has been very helpful for me especially with the the gym component and having wanting to try to gain weight. With the parasites, did that come later on, or was that part of your early your first diagnosis as well? That was I, that was part of my first diagnosis, and that's the typhus. Okay. Yep. It, it did did everything you did. You listed all those treatments. It sounds like a, there was about a year there, and then after that first year of being treated, you were a freshman in college. Maybe by sophomore, you started to bounce back a little bit. Is that or did I misunderstand that? That no, that there? sophomore year was my worst year. So okay. the treatments that I had listed earlier, those are those are those have been the treatments that I have taken from when I was first diagnosed until now. Gotcha. Uh, right now, I'm not taking anything. I'm not sure if that's going to change based off this blood work that I just got um but pretty much I don't I can't really pinpoint and I do have a medical binder that I that I always bring to my doctors but it was I don't have it with me currently so it was a little bit difficult to um write out when I or what uh medications I was taking at certain points throughout my journey and that's I mean that's really common to do things on and off but it sounds like Freshman year, sophomore year, freshman year, you're starting treatment, sophomore year, you're at your worst, you're still treating. And then junior mm-hmm. year is when you're hitting the gym where well, you started to, yep. at least you said earlier, right? So you really right. You must be feeling good if you're hitting the gym or starting to at that point. So yeah, I definitely was still going through, you know, my flare ups and, and, and such, but um, the gym definitely helped me. And then senior year, um, I still had, I still was getting, I think I was still taking treatment then too. So for those four years I was taking um, treatment on and off. And then I was rebit in 2020 and took some antibiotics for maybe I want to say four or five months. It, it, it all kind of, it's interesting because it all kind of just, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? It all meshes together. It does. So it's a little bit difficult to, to really, pinpoint when things happen or when I took certain things. So it's a little bit difficult, especially with my mind and my, my memory. <laughs> so you would say this is what, a, how long of a time frame? like a seven, eight year time frame of everything going on from like initial weird things started happening till present day today, yeah, seven, eight, ten, 10 years now, 10 years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, and from when I was diagnosed, that seems to be a trend. I feel mm-hmm. like yeah. same from with when me. I was diagnosed. Same. Yeah, from when I was diagnosed yeah. until I'm going to be 27 in August. So, yeah, it's been 10 years. Holy crap! I didn't even think of that. <laughs> ah, crazy. But think of how crazy far you've come, Brittany. I mean, oh my goodness! Like mm-hmm. hearing, like you were, you were, you your legs were were numb, right? I mean, you had this this mm-hmm. debilitating neuropathy. You had this debilitating yeah. cognitive impact. And and I, I want to ask you about that because now you pretty much were diagnosed and treating your heaviest when you were in college for four years, but yet yeah. you remained in college. And I mean, that in itself is a testament to how strong you were because you were extremely mm-hmm. sick. You stayed in college. You continued, you graduated. Here you are today, a cybersecurity professional, which is like mind blowing that, <laughs> you know, I mean, obviously you're super smart, but that's a very difficult profession to be in. Mm-hmm. So when you were in college, talk to us about the social impacts your illness had on you, because we know that the whole personality side of things and the cognitive side of things. So A, you're not on your game intellectually because you're just, you have brain fog. You, you feel insecure because you're not as sharp as you used to be. Then you have the personality side of things, which is mm-hmm. you can have Lyme rage, you can have this anger, yeah. you can have these this ranging of emotions, really happy, really sad, really, you know, really hard to be around from a personality mm-hmm. standpoint. And then you're really sick physically as well. And you have this neuropathy right. and you have all these confusing symptoms. How did it impact your relationships with, with you know, uh, romantic relationships, uh, social relationships and your family with your your, your parents and, and your sister and whoever else that you had in your life at the time? Yeah, uh, first and foremost, I, I really have to thank Quinnipiac and, and just mostly the professors and then also the learning comments for really sticking by my side and helping me throughout those years, because if it wasn't for them, I don't think I would have continued and also my family because um, my mom was driving back and forth almost, I want to say every weekend, but often to either come take care of me, take me home, take me to doctor's appointments. So that was uh, that was very crucial, um, and that was very important to to mention. Um, second, relationships with family, friends, um, and intimate relationships. It's been it's been very um, challenging, honestly. Um, with my family, I'm I, I'm gonna say that most people are gonna tell you. It, it take they'll take it out on their family, right? Anything that's going on in the life, it's the first people that it's gonna um it, it's gonna go towards is your family members. So um, you know, the rages and such that was always taken out on my family members and having another individual in the home that was also sick at the time, it didn't really help. So um, but I was also in college, so I didn't really have to worry too much about the relationship aspect with my family and I think they were very at least they tried to be understanding of what I was going through and especially with my younger sister so um, but with relationships it was definitely difficult Um, and honestly I mean I remember having my episodes and and I had to kind of explain to you know my partner at the time that this is something that my body does and it's fighting itself. And I don't really know how to, how to, not that I did not deal with it, but it it was very interesting. And I think I don't, for me, it's a little bit difficult to remember back on the relationships um, that I had with my significant others at that point in time. But as I got a little bit older, um, for example, um, Brendan, he was, He's my ex-boyfriend, but we're still very close and we're, we're really good friends. Um, he really was like 
super, super great when it came to my Lyme and he was super understanding. And when I would have, um, I call, I call them like seizure like episodes where my body would go into shock and I couldn't speak. I would be shaking. And he, he knew how to pretty much, um, take care of me because, you know, not not many people usually would kind of decide they're like a fight or flight response. Right. So usually some people would be like, what the hell is going on? Uh, I don't know what's going on. I'm leaving. But he was super, super great. And he really helped me out. And he um, stuck by me and really was was great to to have somebody that was understanding. So I think that's a very key component of being in a relationship is having somebody understanding. Absolutely. I could totally agree with this. We need a whole podcast episode, podcast episode on this. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Relationships in line. I agree with you completely. Yes. Because then there's some people, you know, and now that I remember is I had, I had been with somebody, I think my junior year it was, and he wasn't as understanding or he exacerbated my symptoms. And and that is also very important is that if you have people that cause anxiety and stress, it's going to make you yeah. 10 times worse. Absolutely. Yeah. So let me ask a question on that. Safe space. Oh, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. Diana. Actually, it's a no, question it's for a both of you. <laughs> because the, the whole relationship topic is fascinating for me because it's I, Lyme just can affect you so deeply. And I think it can make you extremely insecure and it can make you, it can make you oh. almost... I'll say, accept things you shouldn't accept in romantic relationships, right? So how did, it sounds like, Brittany, you you worked on that. Were you in therapy? You know, what what helped you be so strong and emotional to say, hey, I know I deserve love and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to engage in relationships. And if they're not serving me, I'm going to move on and find somebody who does serve me. Like, I think, was it Steve? Is that what you said? Uh, what was his Brendan, name? Brendan, Brendan, I'm sorry. Because yeah. Brendan seemed yeah. like an amazing guy. And I'm glad you still friends <laughs> with him. You need more Brendan in your life, right? So yeah. how we did you all have... need Brendan. Yes. Where do I find a yeah. Brendan? <laughs> oh, yeah. He's, he's um, awesome. <laughs> but I was going to ask, too. So like Matt just said, do you have any spiritual practices? Like what keeps you in that positive headspace? You know, yeah, or can it, you do meditation, <laughs> anything? It's funny because. I'm just going through those motions and those steps right now. I just started going, I had gone to therapy probably around the time that I was dating um, him. And um, I just remember my mind just being all over the place. And I was insecure and, you know, the body dysmorphia and, and then having all the, the Lyme symptoms as well. I was all over the place, but I didn't, not that I didn't take it seriously. I think now I, you know, recently went through a, I don't want to call it a relationship, but I went through a bad relationship. And so, um, I'm sorry, I went through a bad relationship and it kind of set in stone that I really needed to take care of myself because you can have an amazing person in your life, but if you're not in tune with yourself and you're not happy with yourself it is very difficult to bring somebody else into that journey especially if you have any type of um, illness right so for me I really just started with this probably several months ago so three months ago and just learning what I need to do to in order to be uh, my healthiest and and in the right mental uh, headspace for you 
Yeah. Exactly. Like be good for you. So exactly. are you talking about therapy or like a spiritual practice or both? Because uh, I therapy. feel like also, okay. Therapy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Therapy has been great. Uh, I'm very happy that I'm doing it and I'm co- going in with really just laying it out all out there. Cause in the past they kind of refrain or not talk about certain things but that's the whole point of therapy is let it out girl letting it out let it out yeah Yeah. so there there's definitely things that um I started talking about and I'm 27 or gonna be 27 so it it's not easy I will not say to you that it's easy it's a process and it's a journey just like going through the line but once you start you know taking those baby steps you're gonna be off and running after you know some time Exactly. Give us some tips though, right? Like what, what are you learning that's helping you identify your self-worth and improve yourself so you're able to better receive good people in your life? Yeah, uh, I think values is a very, very crucial thing right now. Learning what my values are and then also learning what the values I would want in you know, my next partner. But right now I'm really focusing on myself and my healing journey and not just um, you know, what's internal, but everything as a whole, because for me, I've just, I've just uh, neglected my mental headspace for a long time. And definitely the Lyme affected that part of, of the journey. And I kind of just put it to the side, but really, really focusing on that, just figuring out exactly what my values are, what makes me happy, my non-negotiables. That is the most important thing for me right now. I love that. So let's, let's circle back to your health, right? So you're in college mm-hmm. and you're a junior, you do well, you start to, you start to make some progress. And it sounds like, so again, freshman year, sophomore year was your worst. You're a junior, you're doing better. You're continuing to treat. And then you said in 2020, you were reinfected. So with, in 2020, were you out of college? Did you graduate at that point? I was, I already graduated. I graduated in 2018. At, in 2020, I was in my master's program, actually. So I feel like every time I've been, you know, getting some type of degree, I'm usually sick. So, but, but what I, happened, what happened before the, the reinfection and the rest of your college career? So we don't miss that part of your journey, right? So yeah. your, your senior year, your ju- you were doing well your junior year. Did your health continue to improve overall with some bumps in the road up until the reinfection? Or was there, was there some other parts of your journey that we need to touch on before we move on to your reinfection? Um, no, I, I had a lot of like, still, you know, I, you have the symptoms that, that are still there that linger um, at that point between 2020 and 2022, my goal for, for me was to pay off my student loan. So I was bartending, which think about my, uh, my symptoms, yeah. my main, my, my main system, symptoms were the fatigue and then the muscle muscle pain so I was constantly on my my two feet and I had you know to stand pretty much all day and but I think my mindset is just you're tough you have to power through it and it's not the best way to to be I don't think it's you know you shouldn't have to think that way but for me that's just kind of how I am as an individual and kind of how I grew up it's just be tough and I think through yeah but I remember I would call my mom crying I'm I'm hurting so much right now mom I just want to go home 
I, I need, I need something. I need Advil. I don't feel good. I, I want to go to sleep. I'm tired. I'm, why am I doing this myself? And, it, you know, I, I would go back and forth. And is this really, you know, what I should be doing? Do, does it make sense? Um, just, it was, it was a battle. It was definitely a battle. It wasn't as bad from when I was in college, but I remember the back pains being excruciating. It was how, is your, how is your Lyme doc responding to this, right? Because you're still seeing the same Lyme, Lyme doctor and you're having these severe flare-ups when you're pushing yourself and you're bartending and you're on your feet. Was he changing up your treatment protocol to try to respond to this and it just wasn't working as well as you wanted it to? Yeah, I think at that point, so the mycoplasma for me has kind of just lingered. Um, so I would go on the antibiotics and then go off of them for some time just to see if I would, was feeling better. Also, you don't want to be on antibiotics for that long. Uh, I think that was the primary reason as to why I was feeling that way. But I don't, I can't really recall at that point. I know I was going to, I know I was going to the doctor and I think I was going and getting blood work, but nothing for the Lyme was showing up. So uh, I think it was more so like, oh, you're low on these certain vitamins. You need to start you know, eating a little bit more um, to target those certain vitamin groups or taking vitamin supplements. So did you believe um, it at the time? Because it sounds like to me as a third party, I'm a little, I'm a little skeptical of that response. Seems a little shady to me, almost like dismissive of, we well, don't know what's going on. So it's just your vitamins when really there was probably something else bubbling up from underneath. Again, I don't really recall at that point for me, again, the memory is a little hazy. Uh, I may honestly have been, I may have been on antibiotics for something, but I just, I can't recall at the moment. So you're just basically fighting through life. You're in, you're in now getting your master's degree and yeah. you're reinfected, right? Is that what you said mm -hmm. earlier? So it's circling yeah. back to that. Mm -hmm. Did you find the tick biting you? How'd you know you no. were reinfected? No, no, no. I haven't had, I haven't found any bullseye since 2014 or before then. So I have had an, absolutely no idea if I've, when I've gotten bit. Um, so it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. I wish I would get the bullseye because then obviously, you know, we all wish we would get the bullseye right away or not even get bit to be quite honest. Yep. But, um, yep. So you just assumed that you were reinfected because probably flare ups and whatnot or. Yes. I, sorry. I completely missed the, the question. Um, the flare ups started again and they were a lot worse. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it was. I can't, I can't remember the depth timeline. Let me see. I didn't even write it down, but. Um, well, I mean, it sounds like your, your symptoms were creeping back until it finally hit you and your doctor that something's going on. Mm -hmm. I think I've been reinfected. Right. And then yeah. you probably followed up with some additional testing, which resulted in some sort of positive something, right? Is that, is that right. what happened? Yep. What, what popped positive when you retested based mm -hmm. on all these clues that you were seeing in your declining health? I do not remember the exact thing that was, I think it might've been Europecia and Bartonella, but mm. I can't remember again. It is, I, I really give props to this to the people that come on the podcast and remember everything or try to remember everything and the time frames, but Brittany, it is nobody, really hard. <laughs> nobody remembers everything. Nobody, not anything. one single person. It's so hard. Stop being hard really on yourself. Hard. But That's just how I, am. No. I have to make an observation. And mm -hmm. I, I, you know, we're, we're very honest in this podcast and I of know course. you are, you are in a very good place to receive this. So I just mm -hmm. want to say, I applaud your go, 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 go fight through it attitude but i think that 
attitude and working through the pain and bartending and being in a place that mm -hmm. may have been filled with smoke, may have been keeping you mm -hmm. up late when you should be sleeping, putting stress okay. on you emotionally and physically was weakening your immune system and making Definitely. your body more susceptible to either A, a relapse or B, a right, reinfection, yeah. which probably both occurred, right? right. And I think I you're, you're looking back and realizing like, hey, whether you're sick or not, having a balanced lifestyle will help you maintain health, whether you're sick or not. And I think that's kind of Definitely. what you're, you're going to. And I'm seeing that it and is. so many of us that are on this podcast are the go, go, go fight, fight, fight people. And that's mm -hmm. why we get so sick and end up in the oh, places yeah. we're in. Right. And that's, is that right. kind of, is that what you see in yourself? Oh, definitely. I think now my, my work to life and social, uh, the work, social, and just overall life, it, there's a better balance because now I'm making sure I'm sleeping the amount of hours that I should be sleeping. I'm making sure I'm getting the proper nutrients that I need. I'm making sure that, you know, my stress levels are maintained. So it, it has been interesting to see what I was in the past, especially when I was my most sick to now where, you know, my job, and I have to thank my boss for being awesome and really being supportive, but he always does health first, which, you know, it may not be the case for most people or some people. And it, it's really sad that there's individuals out there that don't really care about other people. Yeah. And yeah, so I, I do have to give him um, props. But for me, honestly, again, because of my routine and really making sure I'm focusing on, on the things that I hadn't focused on in the past. I, I, that's, I think that's why, I, that is why I feel better. That's powerful. And Absolutely. I think from somebody like yourself, Brittany, who had that realization, I think is, is proof positive that with proper treatment and proper respect of our boundaries and what our body is capable of, we can mm -hmm. attain health and we can, we can feel better. And I don't want to use the right, you know, People use the word cure and it's super triggering mm -hmm. in this community. But no. you know, the word, the word, whatever you want to call it, remission or cure, I like to say we can feel better. And, right. and what I mean by that is like when I was at when I was I accepted a place where I thought I was, I'm gonna be like this the rest of my life. I can't make progress, but I was mm -hmm. wrong and I was able to feel better. So no matter where we are, whoever we are listening to this podcast, I believe we can take steps to make ourselves feel even better than we are today. And I think that's kind of what you're describing is you recognize that you can continue to feel better, but in order to do that, you had to make lifestyle changes to make that more sustainable, right? That's, that's, that's what we're talking about. Here. Oh my gosh. That's, that's the power. Definitely. I mean, going from freshman year where I was partying all the time, absolutely destroying my immune system even more. And then, you know, now actually starting to kind of work on it and make sure that I'm doing what I need to do by junior year to then, and at that point too, in college, I was working two, three jobs. So I realistically up until now had really not focused on all the aspects that I just mentioned before. I was not sleeping the way I should be sleeping. I had so much stress that was coming from, you know, school, work, relationships, friendships, family, you know, and, and it, it really shows that it's, it takes time. It takes progress. It really takes, uh, really, really sitting there and trying to figure yourself out as an individual, because you're just, you're, you're going to go through, you know, you're going to go through those steps. And um, I think it's, it's interesting because it's conversations that you don't even think about it. I'm not thinking about it in the lime stunts, but the conversations that you used to have with your parents when you were younger and you would go through these phases 
right? So when it comes with to Lyme, you're going through the phases of trying to figure out what works best or, you know, I, that's what, at least for me, it was the phases and me realizing, hey, I probably shouldn't be binge drinking um, yep. until, I don't know, three in the morning, right? Or I shouldn't be overworking myself to the point where I'm crying in the back room. So it's really just going through the, the motions and the phases and trying to figure out what works best and what doesn't work best. And that's hard, right? Because you look at other people around you, especially when you're in college and you're saying, well, John Doe can do it. Why can't I do it? He's drinking until six in the morning and he's get up and go to yeah. class the next day. You know, right. so it, it's really hard when you think, why am I different? What's wrong with me? But mm -hmm. it's once we realize that we can feel better by setting proper boundaries, I think that that realization is 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 huge to have that mm -hmm. realization, but it just takes a while for us to get there. And I'm not saying that that this is our fault, right? I mean, because your illness is what put those severe restrictions on you compared to other people, but we have the illness and therefore we have to respond mm -hmm. differently than other people if we want to feel good. And I think that's where that, that difference is, right? It's not our fault, but we can help ourselves make progress quicker if we take proper steps. And I think that's what you're outlining, but I want to take a second just to highlight how cool you are and how brave you are and how much of a fighter you are, because not only did you graduate from Quinnipiac University with a BA in criminal justice while suffering and treating, not only did you get reinfected when you were getting your master's degree at Sacred Heart University, where you got a, a master's in science and cybersecurity, you were sick your entire educational career, <laughs> but yet you still graduated and you're a cybersecurity professional today, despite all of that, right? And again, yeah. I know people listening are like, well, she doesn't understand. She wasn't as sick as I was, but that's simply not true. I mean, you literally couldn't feel your legs, right? You had yeah. this debilitating neuropathy. You had this, I mean, you, you, a lot of what you're describing now is when you were feeling better and the struggle you had trying to reacclimate back into life, but not being, you know, quote unquote, normal enough to be in that normal lifestyle. But you were mm -hmm. debilitated at one point. So oh, yeah. the, the hopeful Definitely. part of this is people can get better and you're a model for success for those people. But, uh, you know, tell us how you managed to do it, because I didn't get sick until after I graduated college and right, actually right after my master's degree. But I can't imagine going through college and being as sick as I was and as sick as you were and being able to get through it. I am not as strong as you, Brittany. I couldn't do it. So what was in you to what drives you to continue to not drop out of college and get a degree and pursue your career despite it being so sick? Let me tell you that, that idea of dropping out came across my mind a lot and especially my my sophomore year I remember being in the health center constantly and just you know calling my mom and saying what am I doing right now I it was difficult I, I can't lie it was really hard it was very very difficult but as I said before I really have to give props to my professors and really just Quinnipiac as a whole and even further on at Sacred Heart for just having people that were very understanding and, you know, you're, you're not always going to come across people who are understanding. And I had my fair share of people who didn't care to understand or didn't want to, or maybe just didn't like me and didn't really, you know, again, didn't care, or didn't want to. Um, but to the people that were there and in my corner and also my parents, I think that's what drove me and pushed me. Um, because if it wasn't for them, I don't, I don't think I'd be where I am today. That's for sure. Cause <laughs> I think just having the good that support system, having that support, very important. So, yeah. Um, yeah. What did 
what did you do when you got reinfected? So was it just going back to the regimen that you were on prior? It was the same course of, of drugs that you mentioned and that helped you rebound from the reinfection? Uh, in 2020? Yes. Um, I think, I'm trying to think, because it was a little bit, at that point I was living in, I was living with Brendan actually. <laughs> um, so I just, we just, honestly, yeah, we ate pretty healthy. I wasn't my healthiest, so I wasn't going to the gym at that point. Um, so I think it was really just pushing through it at that point. It's interesting because my mindset has shifted over the years and really just, you know, now it's definitely a healthier perspective. And the way I push myself is a lot different from when I was or when I, um, back then, but, um, when I got reinfected, I, again, I wasn't, honestly, I wasn't my healthiest all around because I wasn't my sickest, but I wasn't my healthiest. So, um, well, but were you treating with the doc, your Lyme doctor still, even though yeah. you were doing those, those lifestyle and diet and other things you were mm -hmm. treating with your doctor and he was giving you drugs specific to whatever pop positive on your, on your reinfection test. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And that was, I believe it was the Rikishia and, um, Baranella. Yeah. And, and knowing, I mean, look, the fact that you tested positive for all these things, who knows what else you had, because we know there's mm -hmm. so many different strains of all these different diseases from right. European strains to, you know, to, you know, Lyme alone in, in the U S has a wide variety of strains. Mm -hmm. So I can't even imagine what else your body was fighting at the time, but I do want to ask, right? So we just finished our Lyme hackathon a couple of weeks ago mm -hmm. and people love hearing tips and tricks. So if you had to reflect back on your entire Lyme journey, what is something, whether it be, whether it be a therapy tip, whether it be a, a hack as far as a, a drug or a tool to help alleviate symptoms, what would be the, the one thing or things that helped you the most that you can share with our listeners that are going through a Lyme journey? Yeah, I, I have a few. So uh, just based off of what I previously mentioned, I think staying on top of your treatment, whatever your regimen is, to stay on top of that. Really don't, don't neglect it try to make sure that, you know, if you're, whatever you're, you're doing or taking, make sure you're on top of it because it will delay your, your treatment. Um, for me, I delayed it probably several years because I was not the smartest, but, um, I've since learned from that. And, um, that, that to me was, if I could go back and yell at my 18 year old self is that's what I would have told myself stay on top of your treatment, <laughs> um, be an advocate. You know, you don't really know what people are going through. Um, don't dismiss people. Don't get discouraged. Don't um, compare um, because that is, it, you can get really down on yourself when it comes to having any illness, not just Lyme disease and co-infections. Um, so really be an advocate. Try to be there for people and it doesn't again doesn't have to be just for the Lyme but just remember we we deal with it all the time oh you don't look you don't look sick so you must not be sick you don't know what people are going through so just just try to be you know again advocate for people and then also um, treat people how you want to be treated and then uh, if you get dismissed by a professional always go with your gut feeling that's that's mm -hmm. something that I'm learning right now is through therapy, go with your gut feeling always. So if you feel that um, a professional is dismissing what you're going through, then 
you have to go and get uh, opinions from other other people. Then I totally have been uh, going on here. I'm gonna I'm gonna defer to you, Diana. The, 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 if you have any more questions, yes, I know I've yes. asked a lot, I, but yes, no, no, I love it. So I have one question. It's a little bit deep, but mm-hmm. I feel like Lime has everyone in this community. It's taught each and every one of us something different. Has it taught you anything? Like, what is one thing this whole chronic illness journey has taught you? Uh, not to compare yourself to others and other people's journeys. You know, some you may hear that some people um, find the right treatment early on and, you know, get treated faster or, you know, in some cases it's the opposite. But um, really just try not to compare what you're going through to others because Again, you don't know what these people are going through. You have absolutely, you're not in their shoes. So we all might have Lyme disease and co-infections, but we're not going through the same motions as the other person. Absolutely, absolutely. And one more question. So Mm -hmm. what advice would you give to others who are in the throes of Lyme disease right now? Like what are your top three or four things? Um, I kind of answered that with the, with your question, Matt. So yeah, or like your top four or that was yeah. uh, just stay on top of the treatment, uh, advocate, and then go with your gut feeling. Okay. But I, yeah. let, let okay. me exp- expand upon that a bit, because I think Diana, one of the questions that I would like to ask people is I, we talk about fight or flight. And for mm-hmm. me, I was certainly at one point in the flight stage of things. I was so afraid to do anything because I'd made some progress in my healing journey and I was afraid to fall back to where I was. So Mm -hmm. for years, I stayed there and didn't do anything because I was Mm -hmm. so afraid. So in that regard, specifically, Brittany, I know you seem like you seem like you never had that you always had a drive to keep treating and treating and treating. But from that fear standpoint, and that lack of action, what advice would you give to people because you're the perfect model of not Mm -hmm. being afraid and fighting? What advice would you give to Matt yeah. Sabatello when he was afraid for four years and wasn't doing anything? But what would you do to slap me around and say, get at it, get out of that funk and start doing things to feel better? Yeah. What would you say to me? Um, well, on one portion of it, I was afraid and I was afraid of nature. Honestly, I went to Quinnipiac. And if you ever look up Quinnipiac University, you have mm-hmm. the sleeping giant hike, yep. which everybody goes on. I did not step foot there once. That was an absolutely no go. I would not step on any patch of grass. I absolutely refused. So yes, we may look at or hear me and say that, you know, I'm, I don't have fear, but I definitely had fear and it was, you know, to step outside of the nature world, because again, I'm also a city girl. I do not like nature. (laughs) So I do avoid it as much as possible. Um, But another advice that I could probably give is and it's and it's hard because you know I can people can give you advice but it really takes yourself to really get yourself to where you need to be um I had so many people tell me oh you need to do this you need to do that but it wasn't until I decided and I had that internal dialogue with myself that I said okay it needs to happen and you don't have to go full 100 absolutely not take baby steps you know if if let's say your goal set goals so say you want to run a marathon 
why does you have to run a marathon right away? Go for a walk, go for a five minute walk. And, you know, for me, where I had the debilitating um, ailments of not being able to walk at a, a certain point, go sit outside. Try to get yourself to just get up because, you know, I'm not here to tell you to just go, go, go. Absolutely not. But if you can do something that you normally wouldn't, try it. Try try to get up. Try to make your bed. Um, try to do something that you normally wouldn't do or you, you just you're telling your mind is telling you you can't do it. But try just at least try, because if you at least try, you're making the steps to really progress. And I think that was yeah. something that was very important for me because I wasn't. Yeah, I may have been go, 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 but there was definitely times where I was uh, stay, stay, stay and then stay in bed. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, I would call my mom crying. So don't, don't listen to me and think that I was always go, 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 because it, it, it took baby steps, to be quite honest. Yeah. I so admire me- you for doing that, though. Yeah. Because I'm yeah. the more fearful kind of person. But I, I, yeah, I'm in that boat, Diana, as well. And, and I, I want to, I'm going <laughs> to, let's channel a fake conversation here. So I'm, I'm Brittany and Brittany, mm-hmm. you're your mom. Okay. So you got to be your mom and give me good advice here. So I quote, you gotta get my mom on the podcast. What's your mom's name, Brittany? (laughs) Anita. Anita. Okay. So Anita, quote unquote, I have this new medication that I think is going to help me. And one of the disclaimers says it may cause dizziness. I'm really afraid to do this because when I was at my worst, I couldn't get out of bed. I was so dizzy. And if I did, I'd fall on the floor and I'd walk into walls. I'm not doing this, mom. I'm just not doing it. What do you think? Whatever your body's telling you is what you do. So if you're not feeling that it's helping you, then we're going to try a different, different, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, we're going to pivot. We're going to pivot. We're going to pivot. Yeah. Like, like Ross said in friends. Yep. Pivot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But should I, but here's the key. Should I try it? Because I think the fear of trying new things is what keeps people sick, right? Mm, so you jumped okay. to part two, which I think is yeah. if it doesn't work for you, you need to listen to your body and pivot and move on. But mm-hmm. the fear of trying something is where I was. And I think where Diana, you were. And you're just yeah. like, hey, I was never afraid to try any, any medication. So I'm jumping right to step two here. But yeah. Would you recommend, hey, you got to get over that fear? Because what I've realized, Brittany, is Oftentimes, even if I have a severe reaction to something, mm-hmm. when I stop that something, whatever it is, I go back to my baseline. I don't stay where mm-hmm. I was, even if right. there's a, a, a flare. And I think that fear is so real for so many. And mm-hmm. I and I uh, and I, it's very it's very empowering to see that that you know you have this 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 courage. But yeah, what are your thoughts when you try new things? Did you ever get stuck? You know, did you ever do, was it like a permanent? Oh my god, I never should have done that. Or everything you did contributed to where you are today and why you're so healthy today, right? I mean, I can actually recall one medication that threw me in for a loop. Like I felt absolutely crappy and I said, I will never take this again. And I think I had taken it maybe once or twice. And that for the for it to affect me like the way it did, I felt like I was on hallucinogens. Like I felt like everything was going super slow and I was I was losing it. Like I was absolutely losing it. It was rifampin. And for me, that fear was now it's embedded into my brain where some of these antibiotics that I've taken, I'm like, but it causes this. So I don't want to take it. I don't want to take it again. And honestly, I hate going to the doctors. I hate having to go back and say, you know, go through the motions and potentially, you know, have to go back on antibiotics because I 
do not like taking antibiotics. I think, again, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I think it's usually it gets worse than before it gets better. Um, and I've gone through horrible symptoms from the antibiotics that to this day, I'm, I get scared of having to go back on it. Yeah. And that, 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 what I'll call PTSD is real. I feel like, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, these, these fears are valid fears, but yet you were reinfected and you still went back on antibiotics and you did and you got, and you got better. Right. So but I, I mean, that's but the I, key. Yes. And I stick yeah. to the, the antibiotics that I've already gone through because I did list out a whole, I had a whole list of antibiotics that I've, uh, I've taken over the years, but there's the certain ones that I know that they don't cause, you know, the secondary, um, side effects, or they don't cause as bad secondary side effects that, you know, I'm, I know that it's okay. But then there's other ones where I'm like, no, I'm staying so far away from those. Do not even, I will kick it out, out of your hand. Like, get away from me. <laughs> but those are your personal hacks. You've, you've yeah. shortcut your healing journey for your reinfection because you knew what worked and didn't work for you as a person. For Brittany Serpa Smith, you knew what worked for you. So you went back to what worked and it mm-hmm. did work again, but you weren't afraid initially to try a whole wide range of things to determine what, what worked for you and what didn't. So mm-hmm. I think that's really good advice is once you know it worked for you, if you get reinfected yeah. or have a flare, fall back on that, build a toolbox, yeah. know what yeah. your personal toolbox is and fall back on that as you need it with a healthy lifestyle. And that's, that's kind of what I'm, my takeaway is for your journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely trial and error for sure. Um, you're not going to get the pieces right away. It's a puzzle. It's a puzzle that has a thousand pieces. It's not a puzzle that has 10 pieces to it. So <laughs> you, you gotta, you gotta find what fits and what works for you and, and stick to that, that completed puzzle. Right. So, um, for me, that's my mindset, depending on what my results say, once I get them back, um, that's what I'll fall on. But right now also continuing with the routine has been really helping me. So um, really stick to those, to those things. Have there been any recent discoveries, anything we missed recently that has been a revelation in your health journey or anything that you, we, we haven't talked about that's really pertinent for our audience? Yeah. So I have a suspected diagnosis and I had mentioned the, the syncope actually think that it may be, and I might butcher this. So with me uh chronic inflammatory demyelination i think i'm saying it right yes polyneuropathy so essentially um the hold on let me let me recollect my thoughts so the neurotransmitters aren't insulated properly and so the signals aren't sending as fast as they should which is causing the um, dizziness, the fainting, the muscle spasms. So um, we're following up on that. We're going to see. Um, and then because that is uh, immunodeficiency um, and also the encephalopathy portion of it, um, I might be doing IBIG. So um, yeah, it's been... Uh, I, well, IBIG, I think is a great tool. One of mm-hmm. my mentor in this community who really brought us into Tick boot camp and guided us, Ali Moresco. She did it and you know, really had some great benefit from my VIG. Although it's very difficult to get it covered by insurance. Yeah. And there are some hacks if you need that. I would recommend mm-hmm. reaching out maybe to you, Brittany, if you know them or, or Ali, because you guys know the hacks to be able to get insurance to cover it, which is it's ridiculous if you go through these, these gyrations, but you can get mm-hmm. it covered under insurance if you go through the proper procedure. Uh, but but when it comes to that, I, I can't help but think that Lyme disease, a lot of research, especially over the last five years, I mean. 
frankly, the research started in the 80s, but it was rejected and it's been picked up again over the last five years about the neurodegenerative impact of Lyme disease and co-infections. Mm-hmm. And it gets into your brain. It impacts right. your nerves. It strips away the lining of your nerve cells, which is what you just described. Mm-hmm. And that damage can be from Lyme disease. I mean, do you, do you, do you believe that? Have your doctor suggested that there can be a correlation between Lyme oh, yeah. and the damage from Lyme causing now this, this condition or this damage from the bacteria and the infections that you had? Of course. And that's something that my sister's dealing with. Um, so for her, it was the, she was misdiagnosed with strep and that caused the encephalopathy. And now she, you know, she has to do IVIG for the rest of her life, um, which is unfortunate. So um, just kind of seeing exactly what she's gone through and, and the benefits of IVIG, again, it's, it kind of stinks that she has to do it for the rest of her life. But it has helped her and it has balanced out her immune system. And hopefully, you know, depending on what my course of action is, it will help me too. Because, you know, I've been going through all these things, the upper respiratory that's just constantly lingered. And, you know, I thought it was allergies or it was strep. I got my tonsils removed, which did help a little bit, but I'm still constantly, you know, clearing my throat with the cough. So, um, and I do have something else, but insurance doesn't think it's an actual uh, immunodeficiency. So that stinks because I um, lack protein in my white blood cells. And that's what the upper respiratory, you know, I keep constantly getting sick. So it's it's definitely, um, it's been an interesting journey, that's for sure. Um, and yeah, I, I hope, you know, we'll see if it's that, if it's just that, um, Hold on, sorry. Uh, see if it's just that um, diagnosis or if it's the tick-borne infection resulting in the CIDP. So we'll see. <laughs> Diana, did, did I? Did you want to jump in? I, I don't know if I was going to step on you again. <laughs> uh, no, I have a question too, but it, it might just, we'll probably be here for like another three hours. But quick question. Did you ever get tested for mold toxicity at all? I was thinking the same thing. Oh. Uh... I'm not sure. Maybe I, I'm not sure. That doesn't ring a bell to be quite well, honest. What you just described, and I'm going to tell you, this is a wild, <laughs> what you just described is like ding, 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 yeah. ding, mold, mold, mold. Yeah. Right. So especially in New York city, especially in mm-hmm. these, you know, these wet climates and older buildings and older structures like New York city, if you're, if you, there are certain genetic tests as well, but if you are mm-hmm. more susceptible to mold illness, which many, all of us with chronic Lyme, we have compromised immune systems and therefore we're more susceptible to mold illness. But if we have a genetic predisposition and there's various genetic predispositions to mold, it's mm-hmm. even harder for us to respond to exposure to mold. Mm-hmm. And what you just described with your upper, upper respiratory, your sinuses, all that mm-hmm. is very much indicative of mold reactions in people with Lyme disease. And I, I have to tell you sometimes, like I, I'm, I'm currently doing it. I do it on the weekends because mm-hmm. it's so aggressive when I when I work that I just certain unpleasant side effects that I can't deal with when I have to work. Mm-hmm. But I will take a 40 chlorella and it's just a binder. But I literally, and I described this to Rich like two weeks ago, I feel like my sinus is being like pulled out of my face and like draining when I take chlorella. Mm-hmm. 
because it, it binds heavy metals, it binds mold, and then it helps you pass it out of your body, but it pulls mm-hmm. it out of your sinuses and stuff. So I, I, I'm not an expert in mold. There are plenty of people out there in the Lyme community who are like Michelle McKeon, who I would highly recommend you check out. She's she's mm-hmm. the Lyme specialist. She's like super well-versed in mold, mm-hmm. but I think that's an area to look into as well. Yeah. And I think, Diana, you probably have a lot more information than I do. If you want to go on, maybe get some more detail. Definitely well, send, me, I, I send gonna... me the information because um, it's actually yeah. funny. My worst year uh, at Quinnipiac fast forward, we ended up finding out that um, there was asbestos. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm pretty sure if you don't touch asbestos, it's okay. But because I'm already immunocompromised, mm-hmm. that it probably affected me and makes sense as to why I felt my worst that year. Yeah. We'll connect after the show. I'll Definitely. send you my info. We can have conversations because mm-hmm. I think it's worth checking out. I have mold as well too. So mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. definitely. Thank you. Yeah. I love you. it. I love that we can all bounce off of each yes. other. <laughs> absolutely. So Diana, did you have any more questions? Cause I don't want to, I don't want to keep going. If no, you I don't. I don't. <laughs> So um, I did, and then my brain got distracted talking about Lyme brain. But there were several <laughs> other questions I had. So what was it? We're talking about we're talking about that your your current symptoms and oh and and so I wanted to tie it back to we talked about Polly Murray right who was do, are you familiar with Brittany she's the mom right who discovered the pattern we talked about earlier of all the, all the young children in in Lyme Connecticut who forced the hand of all the government agencies to come in and do the study mm-hmm. and that's where. Yep. That's where Willie Bergdorfer got involved and started dragging ticks on Long Island and that, you know, the whole thing back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. But we just we just learned today, and I mentioned earlier we're talking to Dr. Alan McDonald, who has done a lot of work with Dr. Ava Shappy, who are our two leaders in the in the research community for Lyme disease. And she had she has passed away. I think she passed away in 2019, Polly Murray. But she had a uh, for almost 10 years a neurodegenerative disease, which now they're realizing was connected to Lyme disease because they're they're proving and, and we actually have a link. On our website, we did a blog post where Dr. McDonald two years ago published a study about every patient he studied with these neurodegenerative conditions, whether it's Lewy body dementia, whether it's Alzheimer's, whether it's, you know, whatever it may be, they all had the Borrelia bacteria in their brain and Mm -hmm. they just weren't effectively able to manage it. So I think there's a huge connection there. And I think it's important to note because sometimes we think that, well, it may not be related. It may be related. But I think as we start to put these connections together, we're realizing it's definitely related and we're starting to better understand how to address these things. And that's the passion of Dr. McDonald is how can we help people who are who are experiencing these neurodegenerative symptoms that have had chronic Lyme, we can help right. them. And we need to recognize that there's a, this, is, this connection is real and we have tools to help these people. So uh, I encourage you and everybody else to listen to that podcast. If you go to our website and just type in Dr. Al- Alan McDonald, you'll see we've had him on the podcast several times. He's a brilliant pathologist and researcher who's, who's done autopsies on brains and all kinds of crazy studies in the Lyme community. But this is the kind of information that I think is going to bring it together to okay. get you on your final sprint of your healing journey, I feel like, Brittany. So it's, it's, been, it's been empowering. Um, Diana, I, I know you said you have no more questions, but I just want to I just want to conclude with, with some with some contact information because I know all three of us are advocates. I know Diana, you wanna you wanna help people. I know Brittany, you wanna help people. So Brittany, your your social is you're on Instagram, you're B S what are you? B S E R P S S underscore, right? Yes. Okay. That so that's Instagram.com slash B S E R P S S underscore. And Diana, you are just Diana Brescia. That's D I A N N A. 
B-R-E-S-C-I-A is your Instagram. Yeah. However, we also have to give a shout out to Diana's website, The Kitchen Remedy. So Diana, out of out of an inspiration, and, and if you haven't already, check out Diana's podcast. Diana, what was your podcast episode? It was, I have it somewhere here. Three, two, two, I believe. Three, two, six. Three, two, six. Called the Kitchen Remedy <laughs> with, with, with Diana Brescia, none, none other. And that was with Rich and uh, Daisy White, I believe, right, Diana? Yes. Yes. And we, in your podcast, we, we talked about your journey and how you formed the Kitchen Remedy to help people in the community. It's really a powerful story, a powerful website, a powerful business you've created out of your journey. And uh, Brittany, is there any other contact information that you want to share besides your Instagram handle or any other final notes you want to share with our community before we conclude tonight? Sure. You can, uh, anybody can connect with me on LinkedIn. It's my full name, Brittany Surface Smith. Um, Facebook, I might be a little bit more difficult to find. I think I'm just Brittany Ann. So <laughs> if you can find me, then you should probably be in cybersecurity. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if, if this isn't top secret, if you want to share those links, we can put them in the show notes so people can find ways to contact you in the show notes. And Matt, let's not forget Chronically Hacked. Oh my goodness. How did I, Diana, thank you for slapping me around with that one. Could you please <laughs> yes. just quickly give a plug to Chronically Hacked? Yes. Yeah, so Chronically Hacked, my new business venture with my dear friend, Michaela Hu, who was also on the podcast. We just launched, uh, we just had a launch event last week in Malibu. It's all about tips, tricks, and hacks to navigate your way through chronic illness the initial stages. So anyone that's lost on your journey, just think of us as your line besties, Chronically Hacked, and you can find us at chronicallyhacked.com, Dr. Richard Horowitz's in the mix in our projects, Ali Hilfiger. So please join us and the social is at Chronically Hacked. Excellent. And I mean, I think you couldn't have described it better as your line bestie, because being on this podcast, everybody <laughs> realizes that they just, they want to be your bestie after hearing you on this podcast, both you and Brittany, Diana. So I just want to one final time thank both of you. Brittany, your story is so inspiring. We we love these interviews. This is pre-recorded. It's everybody listening. This is the Friday night. It's almost seven o'clock. And for me, I love this because I start my weekend on a super high. Thanks to awesome guests like you, Brittany. And super excellent co-hosts like you, Diana. So thank you both for joining our Take Bootcamp podcast thank and you. sharing what you've learned with our community because you know you your stories are truly saving lives in the community. So thank you, thank you, thank you both. And Brittany, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. So nice to meet you. Thank you so much, Matt and Diana, for your time. I am so happy that I did this. And I really hope that my story can help somebody, you know, or it will help many somebodies, trust us. <laughs> we will help many, many, many somebodies. <laughs> So thank you again.